Bibles with you today, would you please turn to Luke chapter 6, part 17 of this series that was supposed to take like three weeks. And uh, here we find ourselves, we're on a brand new chapter, so that's a good thing. Yeah, people are excited. We'll get through this in under 200 parts, I guarantee it, because I might not be alive by the time we finish this. But uh, it's Art Fest. I don't know if any of you got to make it out to that um, this last week. Was it last week? Yeah, I think it was this last week. And anytime I go to Art Fest, this is what always happens. There's two things. Number one, I am just blown away by the artistic ability that some people have. Some people. And I'm blown away by how little ability I have to do anything artistic. So I just go there and I'm inspired because I see something incredible and I'm like, that's insane. And then I think about what I make and it's so, so bad that it's depressing to me. So I feel inspired to want to be an artist and then I remember that that's just not a possibility for me. It always takes me back to being a kid because when we started out, we all had pretty much the same level of artistic ability, which was none. And then some people got better at it than the rest of us. I remember uh, when I decided I want to be an artist, like every little kid wants to do a million different things. So I'm sitting there and I'm drawing this helicopter and I show my mom and I'm like, look, mom, look at this thing I drew. And she's like, oh, that's a great pig. I'm like, it's a helicopter, mom. <laughs> oh yeah, I see that now. <laughs> you know, because that's what she's doing. She has to pretend like she sees it. But when she looked at what it was I, was I had created, she had absolutely no idea what it was. I created something intentionally and on purpose, but she wasn't able to understand what it was that I created. And this continues to go on. My, my helicopters still look like pigs to this day. So I just stopped drawing helicopters. <laughs> but we do the same kind of thing. When you go to an art exhibit, when you listen to a song, when you read poetry, whatever it might be, you always come to it and you come to a piece of art and you're trying to figure out what is the intent behind this. And a lot of us always ask the question of what does this speak to me? How does this make me feel? But maybe the better question for us to ask is what is the intent of the artist? What was the person that was painting this? What were they trying to communicate? What was it an expression of inside of them? The sculptor, what were they creating? The, art, the songwriter, what were they trying to help us understand about what it was that they were creating? Because there's always an intent, there's always a purpose. You can come to a song and say, oh, this is a song about helicopters and pigs, and the artist is like, no, this is a love song that I wrote to my spouse. Because there always is an intent behind it, even if we don't perceive it because we don't have the same experiences as the artist, we don't have the same understanding as the artist, but there's always an intent behind everything that's created. And one of the big things that we have to do when we approach the arts is not just what does it speak to me, but what is it that's trying to be communicated and expressed through the creation of this piece? Because if we don't do that, we're going to miss out on the true beauty of what it was that the artist created. The same thing happens to us a lot with God's laws. We come to them and we can see them, but sometimes when God created a helicopter, we see a pig. And we always say, well, this is what God's law is speaking to me. And a lot of times it is confusing to us because we aren't all-knowing. We aren't holy and just like God is. So we don't have the experiences. We're not on the same plane or the same level as God is. So we come to his laws and we can be confused by what it is that they're speaking. And we can completely miss the intent behind the creation of those laws. And this is what we see happening in Luke chapter 6. And it begins in verses 1 and 2 saying, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husk in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And if you're, you're like, what? 
they broke the law. They're just walking through a field. They're picking some grain and eating it. And the Pharisees are flipping out on them because these are some lawbreakers that are going around destroying all the cultural norms that they have established. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But what it comes back to is in the Ten Commandments, if you ever memorize those in Sunday school or something like that, one of them was that we have to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The idea behind the Sabbath is that it says, God goes on to explain it. He says, for six days I, cr- I worked to create the world, and then on the seventh day I rested and I blessed it and I made it holy. And so what you're supposed to do is that you're supposed to take one day a week where you rest from your labor. And you're not supposed to work. Nobody in your house is supposed to work. Your employees aren't supposed to work. Even your animals aren't supposed to work. There was supposed to be one day that was set aside as holy. It was a day that was rest for the people in an attempt to focus on God. And his goodness and what he's done, a day to connect with him. That's the day, idea behind the Sabbath day. It was a law that God gave to people. You have one day a week, it's the Sabbath, and on that day, you need to rest. So, why are the Pharisees flipping out about this law? The law is you honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't labor on it. But it doesn't really sound like the disciples are laboring, they're just walking through a field, they're breaking off some wheat as they're walking, removing the husk from it, and eating it. So how do they get that from the idea of you have to have a Sabbath day and not labor on it? Well, you don't. You can't take what it was that God clearly said and have that kind of interpretation of it. See, what happened was the the Pharisees, after Israel went into exile because they never followed the Sabbath, they never did any of the things that they were supposed to, so they ended up going into exile in Babylon. While they were there, their customs, their culture is completely destroyed. It becomes very Babylonian. So when Israel is finally brought back, when the nation of Israel is reestablished 70 years later, what they do is they start taking the dietary laws and they start taking uh, the Sabbath laws and using them as a way to reconstitute a people group. And what they do is they really start to define it and make it even more than what it was that God said. So God said you're supposed to have a day that's a rest from labor, so they decided what is labor. And they came up with 39 different prohibitions that have to do with labor on the Sabbath day. 39 different things that you cannot do on the Sabbath day they came up with. They took the dietary law and they went beyond what it was that God had revealed to them and they started doing this as a way to stir up nationalistic pride. It was a way to establish a people, create some boundary groups for these are Jews and then to also keep other people who weren't Jewish out of their club. It was a way to keep the right people in and it was a way to keep the wrong people outside of their little circles. So what's happened now is the disciples, because of the fact that these laws have been created by the Pharisees, not by God, but because the Pharisees created all of these other laws, now they're guilty of laboring on the Sabbath because they are walking. There was a number of steps that you could take on the Sabbath. That's how far they defined it. You can only take X number of steps on the Sabbath day. They were guilty of winnowing. They were guilty of shucking. And uh, they were guilty of eating. You weren't supposed to prepare food on the Sabbath day. If you had to do all of your Sabbath food preparation the day before because if you were hungry on the Sabbath, it was too much labor for you to create a meal. Again, does this have anything to do with what it was that God created? When he says, on, you have one day, that's the Sabbath, it's a rest from your labors, can you possibly extract the number of steps that you can take from that? Can you possibly go in and say that you're not supposed to pick grain as you're walking through a field or to husk it or to eat it? There's no way you can do that. But they've created all of these laws and now they've imposed them on everybody else. 
And so it goes on in Luke verses 3 through 5 to say, Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing people back to Scripture. And this is what Jesus does again and again and again. He's always pointing people back to what is it that Scriptures actually say. And what he's referencing in this is the story that all of the Pharisees would have been familiar with. King David was being pursued by Saul. Uh, he's running in the desert. He's trying to escape. And his people are really famished. They're very hungry. They have no supplies, no food. So they come to the place where the tabernacle is, and David goes in there, and he says, hey, do you have any food? And they say, the only food that we have is the showbread. And what the showbread was, was uh, in the tabernacle, they made uh, 12 loaves of bread every week, and they put it out there on the Sabbath day. And what the 12, 12 loaves of bread represented was the 12 different tribes of Israel. So it'd be there for a week. After the week was up, then the priest would eat it, and they would put new bread out there. The bread was always supposed to be there as a symbol, and it's a beautiful symbol, that the people of God are always constantly before his presence. That God is always looking at his people, that constantly God's people are in his presence. That's the symbolism behind the showbread. And the reason why the priests were the ones who were supposed to eat it is because it's then a symbol to them that you're ministering to the people, to the people of God. That's something that you're always supposed to do. So a symbol of God having his people before him at all times, and then it's also a symbol of the priest always having the people before them at all times. So David goes in there and says, we need some food, and the priest says, yeah, we have some food. The only stuff that we have is the old showbread that we're supposed to eat, but we'll give it to you as long as you guys, you know, consecrate yourselves, and then you can have the bread that we normally would have eaten. So why is it, and this, again, this is happening on the Sabbath, so why is it that the Pharisees were okay with this story of David seemingly breaking some ceremonial rules and doing work on the Sabbath that they weren't allowing other people to do and they were getting mad at Jesus and his disciples about? And the answer for that is twofold is number one, because they recognize that God's law wasn't created to make us all starve to death. Like that wasn't the point behind it. The ceremonial law that God created wasn't put in place to make sure that on the Sabbath that you could not eat anything. That was never the heart behind it. It wasn't the intent behind it. They are able to recognize that in the story. But then the second piece is they recognize that David was a prophet, a priest, and a king that he had authority and that he had power to interpret the rules and he had the power to make and to break the rules that he wanted to do because he was the king. They would just let him do that. So what Jesus says is you're able to recognize the heart of this law in this story and you're able to recognize the authority that King David has. Well, guess what? I'm the son of man. I'm the one who's the Lord of the Sabbath meaning that I have the authority and I have the power to tell you what this law actually means. I have the authority and I have the power to create the laws. I have the authority and the power to do what you might view as breaking the laws because I'm the one who created the Sabbath, so I'm the only one who gets to determine what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. You don't have that power and authority. What the Pharisees had done, in a sense, was to make themselves the Lord over the Sabbath. By saying that we're the ones who are going to create the rules for you, God said, don't labor. Well, these are the 39 things that constitute labor. Here's a number of steps you can take. This is, you can't prepare food on the Sabbath. They just kept creating rules and rules and adding it on. So what God created to be a blessing to us ended up becoming a burden to us. 
They were the ones who were making the rules, which elevated them to the status of the Lord over the Sabbath, and therefore made them Lord over the people. The people of Israel weren't excited about the Sabbath anymore. It was a huge burden to them. It's like, oh goodness, the Sabbath is coming again. Great, we're all going to starve to death because I didn't get food ready. Uh, I'm not going to have the harvest done in time. It was a huge burden for them. Something that God originally created to be good and to be a blessing to them became something that was something that they hated and that they didn't look forward to. Because man had taken it, what God had given us, and created all kinds of rules that we added onto the requirement that God had given us. And then it goes on to this. In Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, the story continues. It says, On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, after this first interaction with Jesus, where he declares that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, they're offended by this. They are not liking this. So they decide we're going to start sending out spies, and we're always going to watch Jesus because we want to see if he breaks our Sabbath laws so that we can then accuse him and bring him up on formal charges of breaking our law and have him arrested, jailed, whatever it is that might happen. So they're going there, and they find a sick man in the temple. And you would think that a Pharisee would look and say, oh, the sick person, like maybe Jesus is going to heal them. Wouldn't that be incredible? This guy has a deformed hand, needs a move of God in his life. He needs something miraculous to happen for him. But instead of hoping that Jesus is going to do something to bring healing and restoration to this man, they're looking and hoping that Jesus is, is not going to do it. They actually become a barrier between themselves and this man, or between God and this man receiving the healing that he needs. Instead of being on the side of the man who has the need and hoping that God does something miraculous in his life, they set themselves up as a barrier that would keep that man from receiving healing from God. That's always a really, really bad place to be in. So they're sitting there and they're spying this out. They're waiting to see if Jesus is going to break their rules so they can bring him up on charges. And then in Luke 6, 8 through 9, it says, But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with a deformed hand, Come and stand in front of me. I'm sorry, come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward, and then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save life or to destroy it? What Jesus is doing here is he's setting up a public confrontation between himself and the Pharisees. And he's asking them, what is the intent behind the law that God has given? Why is it that God created the Sabbath? Why is it that he told you that it needs to be a day of rest from your labors? Why is it that you've created all of these other rules that go alongside of it? And what he says is it's a day to save it's a day for doing good. It's a day for salvation. That word salvation means that it's a, a day of receiving uh, generous concern from someone. It also means that it's a day of receiving divine intervention. It's a day of receiving something miraculous that you need that you can't provide for yourself. That's what the word a day of saving means there. What the Pharisees couldn't grasp was that God's laws that he gave us were meant for human flourishing. They were meant for freedom. They were meant so that we could live out everything that God created us for, everything we were created to be, everything we were created to do. God's laws are the things that enable us to do that. But what the Pharisees did was they took laws and they thought these are supposed to be the prohibitions that keep us from having too much power, that keep us from having too much fun. 
They were always looking to take the good things that God created and turn it into something that instead of bringing freedom to us, brought a burden to us. That instead of allowing us to live the way God called us to be, that something that would then keep us from living the way that God called us to be. So then in Luke 6.10, it says, He looked around at them one by one. Well, he asked the question, is this a day for good or is it a day for evil? Is it a day for saving? And then he gives them the time to respond as he eyes them, every single one of them, one by one across the line. And then he says, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. That's the best day ever. When you're someone that has a deformed hand and you've had this your whole life and it's kept you from doing the things that God created you to do, probably wasn't able to provide for himself or provide for a family, maybe didn't even have a family, Uh, other people making fun of him, other people saying you must have this because there's some sin in your life that, that you're a lesser person because of it. This is the way that he's lived his whole life. And then Jesus comes to him on the Sabbath day, breaks the laws of the Pharisees that they've created for themselves and brings healing to this man. He's restored. You would imagine that everybody goes absolutely nuts. If that happened here, I don't dance, but I might dance. Uh, it might be the last day any of you come here, but like, if something like that happens, people should erupt and cheer and applaud. There should be cartwheels. Bring the band back up. We're going to start singing again. Like That is awesome. Even if you're the Pharisees and you're like, Jesus, you better not heal on the Sabbath. And then some guy gets healed. Like, okay, you know what? We were wrong. God, I'm sorry. Do you think that should be the response? When we are exposed to God's goodness, to see how great his heart, his love and affections are for us, when we see how powerful and mighty God is, strong enough to restore a hand, if you were the Pharisee, you would imagine, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm stupid, you're smart, you're attractive, I'm not good looking. Like you go through the whole list of everything and you'd say, God, now I get it. Now I understand what this law means. All these stupid laws that I made up that were an inhibition for everybody else. Like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm getting back to the heart of what the Sabbath is all about. I'm getting rid of all these stupid rules that I made up for other people to follow. But that's not what happens. In Luke 6.11, it says, At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. It's possible to come face to face with an outpouring, a miraculous outpouring and demonstration of God's love for us, of his power, of the freedom, of the hope that is found in Jesus alone in an undeniable way. Not a one of those Pharisees could say, Jesus didn't heal this man. That wasn't what they were even debating. But they were so mad that Jesus had broken their lordship over the Sabbath that they were looking for ways to kill him. They were filled with fury. They were filled with rage against Jesus and his people. And that's the temptation we all come into. Every one of us, we have stupid rules that we've made up. There's laws that God's given us that we don't understand. There are things that we have tried to define down beyond what it ever should have been. We've, we've erected stumbling blocks and we've erected walls for people that were never supposed to have been there. And when we get a revelation of God's heart, when we get an understanding, when Jesus comes and shows us what the meaning of the law really is, then we either have to repent of our sins and we have to reorient ourselves to the heart of God and what the law is that he's actually revealed to us. Or 
we just keep going on our way and we're filled with fury and rage against Jesus and against the church. And I see that way too much. Because the truth is, a lot of us love our way of life more than we love Jesus and the life that he's called us to. A lot of us are way more concerned with being the Lord over our lives, the Lord over our customs and our ceremonies, than we are with, of allowing Jesus to be the one who comes as Lord and calls hurt, lost, broken people into his kingdom and to be a part of his family. I mean, I grew up in a tiny mainline denominational church. I remember my parents coming home from the committee meetings and the, the people that were hating each other because they were trying to pick out new carpet for the sanctuary. And one person wanted the bright orange and one person wanted the fuchsia. And now the church has to be destroyed. I remember as a kid, I was in the sanctuary and I had a hat on and you would have thought that I had just like spit on Jesus. People flipped out. And you know what that is? Like that's, a, that's a, an American custom that we have is that you don't wear a hat in there. But then you look at other cultures, it's like, if you don't wear a hat, you're like dishonoring Jesus. It's like, which is it? That's something that we created. That's something that we made up. How many other things are there like that that we've done? Or where we haven't allowed Jesus to be Lord, and instead we've become Lord, and we've created our customs, we've created our rules, and we expect everybody else to follow if they want to be able to come near Jesus and be a part of the family of God. This is the question that Jesus is presenting us with, and it's the one that we all have to evaluate our lives based on, and we have to answer. Because we're either going to come to these and say, Jesus, I was so wrong on this. Forgive me. I was doing things that, that were putting a burden on people that never should have been there. God, forgive me of that. Or we're going to look at it and say, what I believe is what I believe, and it doesn't matter what Jesus says. Because I'm the one that's going to be the Lord over this place. And everybody else, if they want to be a part of this group of people, then they better toe the line and they better get in shape or else it's not going to happen. These are the things that we have to understand about this story and what it is that Jesus is telling us. Is number one, Jesus creates the law. We don't get to create the rules. Jesus alone is the one that gets to do that. Jesus alone is the one who gets to define what his kingdom is like. Jesus alone is the one who gets to define how it is that we were created to live. He's the one that gets to define the rules of engagement that we have with each other as a family. Jesus is the one who gets to make all of the rules. He is the one who gets to define what the law is. We don't get to do that. You know what our job is? Okay, Jesus, I'll be obedient. That's our only job. He didn't ask us for our opinions on things. He didn't get a group of people together and say, okay, let's just, you know, let's brainstorm. What can we do to make people really hate life and make church as miserable as is humanly possible? That's not what he's doing. He's not asking us for our input. He says, you don't understand. You don't know. You're looking at the helicopter and seeing a pig. That's why you have to come to me to understand what the law is and what my heart is and what the intent is behind it. Uh, just this week, I was reminded of how far off I am from this. Uh, a, a coffee shop I frequent, is there, and there's a, a barista there that um, since Easter, kind of I started talking to her, and I was like, hey, you have any Easter plans? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm uh, working. And I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. She's like, ah, it's okay, I don't celebrate Easter anyways. I don't believe in Jesus or anything. I'm like, okay. So if you say that to me, that puts you on my radar. <laughs> And it's like, all right, gee, like, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to do everything that I can to model and demonstrate God and his goodness to you. Like, like she's on my radar. I've been praying for her and, like, you know, being as nice as I can, tipping well. Like, I'm, I'm rolling out the red carpet. 
And so this week I was in there, and I'm actually working on this message. And uh, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, oh, you know, I'm moving into a new place. And I'm like, oh, cool, what do you need for your, your new apartment? She's like, oh, well, we got this and that. And she's like, but my friend, I, we, need a, we need a table still. I'm like, oh, yeah, you need a table? She's like, yeah, there's this one I found at Ikea. And I'm like, oh, which one? And so I pull up my laptop, and she shows. I'm like, oh, that's a great table. And so God tells me, you need to buy this table for her. And I'm like, yeah, like, I'm going to demonstrate the love of Jesus to her. I'm going to buy her a table. Like, angels are going to sing. She's going to repent of her sins. It's going to be awesome because we got her an Ikea table. Or she's going to cuss like a sailor trying to put it together, one of the two. But I'm not responsible for that part. That's an Ikea. And so, like, you know, I go and, like, I get the cash for the table. And I put it in my pocket. I go back the next day. Now, like, I'm waiting for this opportunity to, to give her the money for it because I really feel like God spoke to me. Like, I need to give this to her. And so I'm waiting for it to be alone because I don't want everybody else to see it or anything like that. And you think, well, why are you telling me the story? This isn't the point of the story. It's how awesome I am. It's how stupid I am. So you'll understand that in a minute. <laughs> and so like, I'm waiting for her. And uh, she kind of comes over to my table. I'm like, hey, how's it going? She's like, yeah, I'm going to a music festival uh, this week. And I'm like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, is it Faster Horses by any chance? And she's like, how did you know? And I'm like, actually, I have a friend that's going to be there this weekend. He's working security. I didn't tell her that. She's like, oh, that's awesome. Maybe I'll meet him there. I'm like, if you drink enough, you will. And she's like, what? <laughs> she's, she's like, actually, you should see all the alcohol we got. I went and got a Costco membership just so I could buy all the booze for this weekend. All right. I'm like, you're definitely going to meet my friend. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm not giving her this money. Like, she doesn't need it. She just got a Costco membership to buy booze for this weekend festival that she's going to. I'm like, she's probably just going to spend it all on booze anyway. If I give this to her, like, I'm going to be enabling her. I don't want to do that. And so, like, there's no way. And Jesus is like, I told you to give her the money. Jesus, did you just hear? She's going to blow it all in alcohol. Like, this could kill her. And Jesus is like, are you making up some rules? <laughs> Stop reading my notes, Jesus. <laughs> and I felt so convicted because what Jesus told me to do was to get her this table. And I was all gung-ho on doing that until I found out that she was just blowing all her money on booze. <laughs> And then I'm like, I'm not giving her this money. What I'd done was I had made a rule that probably a lot of us have. We're like, I don't want to give money to people. who's going to blow it on alcohol and weed or whatever. It's like we do that. But if Jesus tells you to do something, is there a rule in the Bible that says don't be generous to people if you think that they might spend it on alcohol? That's not in the Bible. That's a rule that I made up. It seemed like a really good rule for a lot of years until I was at this coffee shop this week. Now I'm wondering about every other rule I have. <laughs> so I said, Jesus, forgive me. I'm like, hey, come here. She's like, what? I'm like, you still need that table? She says, yeah, it was just yesterday. I haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> so I hand her the money. She's like, what's this? I said, my wife and I, we, you know, we want to buy you a table as a way to, to help you out in your new apartment. She just starts bawling. Well, I was trying to do it really discreetly. Like, she just starts bawling there in the coffee shop. And she gives me a death hug, like, knocks me out of my seat. 
She's like just weeping openly and crying. This is the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. She's like, I can't believe this. And then she calls over. I didn't realize it, but her roommate also works. She's like, get me over here. And then she tells her. She starts crying and giving me a hug. <laughs> Other barista makes me a free coffee. So that was pretty awesome. <laughs> and then she tells me, just this morning I found out that one of my friends died. And I don't really know how to process that. If I hadn't followed what Jesus told me to do, if I hadn't gotten rid of this stupid rule that I had made up for myself that seemed really good to me, but was just a burden that I was placing on her that was keeping her from a miraculous encounter with Jesus. I mean, this is incredible. I've been praying, God, give me an opportunity. God, do something in her life. Open up a door. Open up a conversation. God aligns the way for all of this to happen. When he speaks to me about the table, her friend hasn't even passed away yet. But God speaks this to me because God knows the timeline. And I almost blew it because I had made a rule for myself and I'd made a rule for her. I was that close to being a wall that kept her from a miraculous encounter with Jesus. Now, she didn't decide that I'm going to repent of my sins and embrace the goodness of the Father or anything like that. Not yet. But you know what she found out? It's that God's doing something. That God loves her that God's orchestrating blessing inside of her life and that God is desperately trying to reveal his goodness to her and his call and his plan and his purpose for her. And I am so honored that God uses as messed up of people like I am to do things like that. And God wants to do that inside of every single one of us. But it means that we're going to have to get rid of some of the stupid rules that we made that are going to keep other people from receiving from Jesus. Do I recommend spending three days at a country week concert? No, like that's not a sin issue, but it's just a bad idea. No. <laughs> she just spent three weeks being drunk. No, but you know what? She doesn't claim to follow Jesus. Why would she do anything differently? She doesn't know the beauty of the call of God on her life. And until she understands God's goodness and his plans and his purpose for her, why would she ever live any other way? And me as someone and us as people who know God's goodness, who know his call, why would we ever expect someone to operate any differently that isn't a part of the family of God? And why would we ever want to build up barriers and walls that would keep someone from encountering Jesus so that their life can be forever changed and transformed so they become like Jesus? I almost blew it. I did blow it for a little bit, but Jesus is so persistent that I relented. Are we going to let Jesus be the Lord overall? Are we going to let Jesus be the one who gets to create and to define the rules? Are we just going to be the people who are obedient to what it is that he's spoken? Or are we going to be those who create all sorts of rules? I mean, I love it. That's the beauty of the story is Israel, what do they do? Like they're creating all of these rules to create a nationalistic sense of belonging. How many things that we think are Christian are really just nationalistic? How many things that we think are Christian are really just walls that we've erected to keep the wrong people out and the right people in. How many of the rules that we follow aren't anything that Jesus ever spoke or that God's ever revealed to us in Scripture, but are just things that we've done that we think, hey, if you really want to be good, this is what you need to do. There's too many rules like that that we have. But Jesus is the one who gets to make them and define them, not us. Our response is to repent and to come into alignment with him and what he's revealed.
Number two, Jesus' law is for our flourishing. That's why he created rules. That's why he did. Why did God create a Sabbath law? It's because if you work all day, every day, you're going to die. You're going to be emotionally unhealthy. You're going to be spiritually unhealthy, relationally unhealthy. You'll be physically unhealthy. The way God created the human body, and he did it with perfection, was he created us to need rest. And so he made a law for us that requires us to rest. Why? Not because he's trying to keep us from having fun. Not because he's trying to keep us from, you know, getting the harvest in when it's time to harvest or make money, advance our career, whatever it is. Jesus did this and he created this law for our benefit. He did it for our freedom. He did it for our flourishing. We don't always understand the law of God, but here's what you can understand. That every law that he ever created, every rule that he's ever asked us to follow, wasn't to keep us from having fun. It wasn't to be an impediment to us. It was so that we could truly live in freedom, and it was so that we could truly encounter God and live flourishing and prosperous in the life that he's called us to. You don't always understand it, but you can always understand the heart and the intent behind everything that God has ever asked of us. And number three, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day to rest from work. You labor hard, but you need rest. That's the physical end of it. But there's also a spiritual component to the Sabbath. You see, like the man with the deformed hand, we find ourselves needing saving. We find ourselves needing miraculous power exhibited inside of our lives. We need incredible graciousness exhibited from Jesus inside of our lives. Because the problem that every single one of us faces is that we, because of sin, were separated from a relationship with our Father. We were created to know God intimately and deeply. We were created to live connected to Him. We were created to love Him. And everything that we do is an overflow of the love of God inside of us. That's the way every one of us was created, but none of us were born that way. Because sin separated us, and there was nothing that we could do that could ever make us righteous, that could ever put us into right standing before God. And what religion is, is it's a labor. It's trying to make ourselves presentable to God. It's trying to make ourselves worthy of God's love. It's trying to make us worthy of being in God's presence. It's trying to reestablish connection with God somehow. And it's laborious. And you keep going and you keep going and you keep doing and you keep trying, but you're never able to achieve it. So Jesus comes. It's God. He gives up the glory of heaven. He gives up being worshipped by angels and all of creation as he should be. He humbles himself, comes as a baby. He lives a pure and a sinless life. He is righteous. He is just. He reveals to us the heart of God. He reveals to us the way that we've been called to live. He models and demonstrates the holy possible for us as a part of the family of God. And then he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood paying the price for all of our sins and thereby removing every sin from us, removing the penalty for sin. He paid it all. And what that means is that now what we tried to do through our own labor 
of trying through religion to make myself, okay, Jesus, if I do this, I'll be good enough. If I do that, I'll be good enough. If I can stop doing this, I'll be good enough. He came and he made us good enough. He removed every sin. He removed every roadblock, every barrier that would keep you from knowing God intimately and deeply. Everything that would keep you from living out the life that you've been called to. He removes it all. And you know what that means? We can rest. We can rest from the labor of trying to earn God's love. We can rest from the labor of trying to be righteous. We don't have to strive. We don't have to try anymore. Because Jesus came and he did it for us. Now we just have to receive by faith. Maybe this morning you're here and you've been trying to to impose a bunch of rules on other people that you think is what it takes to be godly that Jesus never said, there's a good chance that's because you're trying to do something inside of yourself. A lot of times we impose rules and create rules for other people because we think that there's some rules that we need to be following ourselves to make us righteous before God. And that's a lie. You just have to receive. This morning, you guys stand with me this morning. We just take a moment to pray and see what is it God speaking to us and what is it he is calling us to. Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak to us. This morning, would you come and would you speak to every heart in this room? First of all, Holy Spirit, would you convict us of how immeasurably good you are? How would you reveal how great your love is for us? For anyone here that's been doubting your goodness, your love, your affection for them, God, would that be what you reveal in this moment? You're so loved. You're so accepted. You're cherished and you're desired by God. part of it is you need to be able to trust God this morning. Maybe you've been struggling with not creating laws, but you've been struggling with accepting that something Jesus did reveal to us, and you don't understand it. You don't like it even. This morning, what I want you to know is you can accept it because God's law is for you. It's for your flourishing. It's for your freedom. You might not understand it, but if you just will choose to be obedient to it, then you will see the beauty of it and you will see just the blessing that comes from putting yourself in obedience and living the way God's called you to be. Maybe this morning, maybe God's speaking to you because you've been putting some walls up. You've been creating some rules and some barriers for other people, just like I was. And what God's calling you to do this morning is to repent of that and come back to what his heart really is and what it is that he's really revealed. Instead of being someone who erects walls and barriers to keep others from Jesus, this morning a part of your repentance is smashing all those things down and doing everything that you can to bring as many people into the kingdom as you possibly can because that's the heart of the Father. 
Maybe this morning you're here and, and you're walking with hurt because you've been a part of a family or a church or, or something else like that where people created a lot of rules and a lot of laws to try to keep you out. This morning, what God wants to reveal to you is the price that he paid to bring you in. And he wants to bring healing into your life. He wants to heal the wounds. He wants you to see how loved and how cherished you are. And he's calling you to a new life of following after him. If that's you this morning, then what God's asking you to do is to make that confession of Jesus. I believe that you are God. I believe that you did forgive my sins. And this morning, I want you to change my life. I want to follow after you. God, I'm going to be obedient to everything you call me to. Send the Holy Spirit to live inside of me and dwell in me. God, strengthen me as I pursue you and, and live the life that you've called me to. Jesus, begin that transformative work inside of my heart and inside of my mind because I want you to be the Lord over my life. I want you to be Lord over all. And then every day, you just keep saying that. Every day you keep making that decision that I'm following after Jesus. I don't know what today brings. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know that today I'm following after Jesus. And every day you'll be amazed by the way he continues to reveal himself to you, the way that he begins to change and transform you, not by your own willpower, not by a rule that you make for yourself, but by his goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. God, continue to make Radiant Church into a place of freedom. God, make this a, a home of hope. Make this a place where people come in and they're just overwhelmed by your love for them. And they're overwhelmed by our love for them and the way that we accept them, the way that we demonstrate love to them, Jesus. God, more than anything, we want your presence. We want to be a transformed people. Let this be that place, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yeah, I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. They're just going to be right on the sides here up in front. If there's anything that we can pray for you about, we would love to do that. We see Jesus move miraculously every single week in response to the prayers of his people. If not, I encourage you to go out there, drink some coffee, make some friends. And remember, August 6th, we're doing something very different and pretty awesome, and you'll want to be here to get a sneak peek of that. God bless, and have a great day.